Thankful to be here this morning. I'm sorry I couldn't be with you the rest of the weekend. Uh, one of the things that comes out of having a business like that is sometimes you're expected to be there on the busy times, and that keeps me from being here, and I really do hate that. So, But uh, y'all pray for me this morning. Uh, a little bit of short notice, and uh, that's all right. You know, sometimes the Lord puts something on your heart, and you don't really know why. Until you get there and, and you find out. So if you've got your Bibles with you and want to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And starting in verse 12, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which have fallen asleep in Christ are perished. In this life only, in this life only, we have hope in Christ. We are of all men most miserable. Back in the Apostle Paul's day, and even today, there are people who will deny the resurrection. Yep. They think that when you die that you're just, you're just dead. That's all there is. You live this life and then you're put in the ground. And there's nothing to come after that. And as Paul says, if, if we only have hope in this life, how miserable are we? Brother, let me tell you, if this is all I've got to look forward to, then how miserable is this life? He says, if the dead raise not, then that means that Christ did not rise from the grave. And if Christ did not rise from the grave and I stand here and preach Him risen from the grave, I'm a liar. And I'm calling God a liar. And if we preach Christ risen from the grave and He is not risen from the grave, then our sins have not been paid for and we are yet in sin. And what is the price of sin? It's death. And what is death? Death is a separation. In this case, it is a separation from our God. And if the dead rise not, then what do we have to look forward to other than to be eternally separated from God? We are found false witnesses of God because we have testified that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up. 
Christ be not raised. For if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain and you are dead in your sins. And they also who have fallen asleep in Christ. Those who have gone before us in death, those that have preceded us. It says they're perished. They're just gone. <coughs> if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable. Mm -hmm. If this is it, if this is the only place we have a hope in Christ, then we are miserable. What is there to look forward to? That word hope is a very peculiar word. I think what we think of as hope today is not what biblical hope really is. I've told Jonathan before I really appreciate the fact that he takes the time to research and thresh out some of these words for us. Because our scripture, if you've, if you've got the King James Version, it was written in 1611, okay? And the meanings of the words back in 1611 have changed a lot from what they are today. And we need to go back and find out what the writers meant when they put that word in here. Today, when we say hope, we're really talking about a wish or a desire, okay? I hope that one day, you know, I get a million dollars from somewhere, you know. I don't know where it would come from, but uh, I, I hope that one day, you know, I'll do this or that. But brother, that's not what biblical hope is. I, I heard a preacher this morning, and I, I really didn't get to listen to him, and I, I just turned him on, and, and actually didn't turn him on. I came into the room. He was already on. <laughs> And I heard him say this, and I thought, that really is a pretty good definition. He said, hope is assurance with expectation. And I thought, you know, that's a pretty, good, a pretty good definition. I've always said it's assurance of something that we cannot see. I, I have a hope that my car is still in the parking lot out here. I can't see it. But I'm pretty sure it's there because I put it there just a few minutes ago. And I don't think anybody wants to steal a 2005, you know. So I've got a pretty good expectation and assurance that, that car is still there. And that's hope. There was a time, I don't, I don't know if young girls still do this or not, if they still put together hope chests or not. But, you know, they put together a hope chest. They gathered the things that they would need uh, for a family when they got married. And they really did not do that with the wish to get married. They did that with the expectation. They did that with the assurance that one day God was going to send somebody into their life that they were going to marry, and these were the things they were going to need, and they gathered them together ahead of time. Assurance. That's what we're talking about when we talk about hope. And brothers, we have assurance. We have a hope today in Christ. 
Not that we wish or desire that one day we may meet him, but we have the assurance that one day we shall meet him. The Apostle Paul goes on and he says, but now is Christ risen from the dead. And he has become the first fruits of them that slept. We have a hope, we have assurance that Christ is risen from the dead. That's why we preach him as risen from the dead. God has told us that's what happened. We actually have a, a testimony and assurances from other people who witnessed it. In the first part of this chapter, the Apostle Paul says it was witnessed by over 500 people at one time. Yeah. I've often thought about that. I, I love that when he says that. You know, Can you imagine being there with this large group that the Apostle Paul is speaking to and the Apostle Paul says that over 500 people at one time witnessed the resurrected Christ. And I can imagine some of the people in that congregation saying, brother, and I was there. I'm one of them. I saw the resurrected Christ. Christ is Resurrected, And because of that, we have an assurance that one day we shall be with him. And it says he is the first fruits of them that slept. Now, we can read that and think, well, now wait a minute. I can think of some other people that rose from the dead before Christ did. How about Lazarus, you know? But when it says he's the first fruits, he is the first fruit in order of priority. He is the preeminent one. There is nobody that will ever have, that will ever rise from the grave that has a higher priority or a greater prominence than Jesus Christ. Amen. His is the name that is above all names. He is the first fruits of them that raised. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Amen. Our forefather Adam, through his sin, cursed all men to die. In fact, I believe that from that very moment we were, die we were dead in the fact that we were separated from God. But in the second Adam, in Christ, shall all men be made alive. Brother, there is coming a time, there is coming a day that we shall all be made alive in Christ. We shall all be resurrected. At the end of this chapter, uh, verse 51 says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Do you know not everybody's going to die? Have you ever thought about that? Not everybody will die. They tell you all the time, well, the two things you can be assured of are death and taxes. Well, let me tell you, that there's only one of those you can be assured of because not everybody's going to die. The Bible tells me clearly that there are going to be those of us that are alive and remain when Christ comes back. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, 
but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trump shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this, incor for this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. Do you know that this body that we have right now is not suited for a life in heaven? That's right. This body is corruptible. It deteriorates. Some of us a little faster than others. Every morning when I wake up, I find a little bit more corruption than I had the day before it seems. <laughs> But there is going to come a day when God is going to change this body and give us a body that is perfectly suited for an eternity with him in heaven. Amen. A body that will not deteriorate, that will not corrupt, that will not break down. In a moment of the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trump shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corrupted corruptible must put on incorruption this mortal must put on immortality so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory I think we look at it a lot of times in, in this life that Death has kind of got the final victory over us. But I'm going to tell you, there's coming a time when death is going to be swallowed up. There will be no more death. Mm -hmm. Death just thinks it's got the upper hand. i got news for it. There's coming a day when it will be no more. It will not exist. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who giveth, giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain, in the Lord. Our labor is not in vain. Our faith is not in vain. Because you see, Christ is raised from the dead. We have God's word that He is raised from the dead. And if He is raised from the dead, brother, then you and I also will be raised from the dead. We will have victory over death. Because Jesus Christ has fulfilled that law for us. He has paid that sin debt that we owed and could not pay. It has been paid in full. Then he tells us in verse 58 that there is something we should do because of that. Therefore, brethren, therefore, because of what has come before, because there is resurrection because there is life after death. Because death will be swallowed up. We should be steadfast, 
and unmovable. We need to stand firm in our beliefs. We need to stand firm in our convictions. We need to hold to that hope that the Bible has given us. That assurance that Jesus Christ has paid the debt. And that we will be resurrected with him. We are to stand fast in that. And always abound in the work of the Lord. Whatever that is that he's given us to do. Whether it be to stand here and proclaim his name. To proclaim his victory. Or whatever else the Lord has called us to do. I believe that every child of God has been called to do something. We have all been given a work that we are to do. And we need to abound in that work. We need to attack that work. Rigorously. Abounding in the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. If God has given it to you to do, He didn't give it to you with a vain purpose. He gave it to you with something to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And we need to accept that. We need to embrace that. And do the work that God has given us to do. Because we do have hope in Christ. We do have the assurance that Christ was raised from the dead. And that because of that, we will be raised with him. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> Brother Dean doesn't know that he just picked up Brother Kenneth Now stopped. So that's Lord's good over there in verse 23 if we continued on just a minute. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits afterwards, they that are Christ at his coming, then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom. One of the preacher brothers, I think it's Brother Kenneth, referenced that. That's where it was at. That Christ's kingdom, it's here and now. It's not a visible kingdom. You haven't been, eyes to, haven't been given eyes to see. You can't see it. But it's here. It's now. And he's ruling and reigning. And that day he will give, give up, deliver up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign. That means he's reigning right now. Till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet, and as God the Father has put all things under the Son's feet. And when he hath said all things are under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under his feet. It's not saying God the Father is under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. We serve a risen Savior, not a weak one, but a ruling, victorious Savior. And in his perfect time, he's going to reveal that to everybody. It's going to be a good day. Thank you. Thank you very much for those thoughts. Let's go flip over to 1 John.
Dean ended with that admonition to therefore labor, <laughs> to stand fast. There are works that we're called on to, called on to. And this section in 1 John chapter 3 continues that thread with very practical uh, admonitions and truths. Um, we're going to start reading back in verse 1 of chapter 3 just to get a running start. <clears throat> well, we're going to pick up in, really in verse 3. Behold, look, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. That is a precious and special title that's been put upon you. That's not... Uh, a participation award, a consolation prize. This is not something you find at the dollar store. This is a big deal. And the magnitude of love that's being displayed in all that went in to make that title true is exceptional. But because we're the sons of God, therefore the world knoweth us not if you're looking to have the fame and popularity, applause of men as a follower and faithful follower of Christ, you ain't going to find it. It's not there. And in fact, if the world is applauding you, you should be concerned. There's something gone awry. The world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Didn't know God the Father, didn't know his Son. And they haven't been introduced to the Holy Spirit. And so if you feel apart from the world, that's a good thing. <laughs> Beloved, now are we the sons of God. When? Yeah. Now. Presently. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. We're not in our final form. So the dean was expounding upon this, this mortal form. It's weak. It's corrupt. It's corruptible. But as the sons of God, we'll be adorned in attire that's appropriate for us. And though we're not there yet, but we know, remember this, this, whole, chat, this whole book, is replete with that word know. What are some of the things we know? Well, here we know the, the world doesn't know us because it didn't know him. But we know that even though we're not like, we're not there yet, what we shall be, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. That's something we know. For we shall see him as he is in his glory. When Christ came and took on flesh and lived a perfect life, His glory was not fully revealed. It was largely hidden. On the Mount of Transfiguration, you had that lifted back just a smidge. And I think that's the idea that when God was telling Moses, no man can behold my glory and live, is that this mortal form couldn't take it. We'd be blown away. <laughs> We need to be housed in a better body to, to see and observe the glory of God. 
But if we know that, if we know that we're the sons of God, and we know we're not yet in that final form, but one day we shall be, be like him, perfect in body, perfect in soul, completely free from sin, then what? And every man that hath this hope, this earnest expectation, this full assurance, right? Every man that hath this hope in him, that he will be with him and be like him, what does he do now? Purifieth himself, even as he is pure. You got a lot of hymns in there, and he's. Well, the him and himself is us. Add another pronoun. We're the ones who, if we know that one day we'll be like Christ with glorified bodies, then while we're here now, we cleanse ourselves, we purify ourselves, we walk in a way that is pure, looking at Christ, even as He is pure, that He is Christ. He's the model. He is clean. He is perfect. He is sinless. We know that one day when He comes back, we'll be there perfectly. So do we just waller in the mud in the meantime? No. We know that we are the sons of God presently. We know that one day we will have immortal, perfect bodies and be like Christ, completely free and absent from sin. And so if we know that that's the standard, everyone who knows those two things, what do we do now? We purify ourselves now. Now, this is not talking about a purification in the eyes of God. Any righteousness you have, any cleanness that you have between us and God, solely on Christ's work, right? He did that. But you and I both know that we have choices day to day. And we can choose to make God-honoring, wise choices in how we do with what we say, where we go, where we spend our money, what we think about, what we dwell on, our attitude. There is a whole plethora of decisions we make every day of whether I'm going to walk in the light with the Lord or I'm going to wall in the mud with the world. And so, if you know that you are a son of God, and you know that one day you will be with him with a perfect form, what we do now is we cleanse ourselves. You pur purify yourself. You, this is in the process of sanctification, to be made holy. Again, not to be made holy in the eyes of God. He did that. We talk about what Brother Chris Folsom talking about entering into his rest. Right. You want to rest and have a close fellowship with the Lord. And what's this book? What was the purpose of his reason? What was the reason it was written? Can't talk. That you might have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, and that your joy might be full, and that you sin not. Right? All these reasons that this letter was given, it's all goes over and over and over and over again. Y'all ever feel like you have to repeat yourself? <laughs> Me too. The apostles did too, at the inspiration of God, right? Every man that hath this hope in him purify himself, even as he is pure. Now there's a reason he's having to, to write this, right? There are those who are trying to seduce these young Christians early in the church. I mean, Christ has not been gone from the ascension that long. 
And yet there are those who are trying to teach these believers the wrong things. Teaching things that it's okay to chase after the world. That it's okay to live in sin. It's okay. Um, just you do you. Christ wants you to be happy, right? That's, that's the modern vernacular, but there are those, he says, I write these things unto you concerning them that seduce you. There are those who said that Jesus isn't the Christ, right? And so you need to be on guard. And so he's saying this, this truth, that as a follower of Christ, part of what you do is purify yourself looking to the model of Christ as Christ is pure. Does that mean I get to take my heart and my mind and I design what is good? No! You don't have that authority. God designs what's holy, what is righteous. It's Him. And you look to Him for that standard and you conform to it. Right? Your flesh wants to conform to this world. That's the easier mold. Right? But the Spirit that dwells within you that new creature, that new man is created under good works. He leads you to be transformed to that model, to Christ. Verse 4 states another, just it's a fact. <clears throat> Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. Later in chapter 5, I'll give you another definition for sin. Chapter 5, verse 17, first part. All unrighteousness is sin. Ever just ask yourself that? Well, what is sin? Sin is transgressing the law. Sin is any form of unrighteousness. Who defines righteousness? Who defines what's right and upright? The one who is righteous and upright that it's saying about the holy 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 god he is righteous there is no iniquity in him and we know that that started back there in chapter 1 verse 5 that god is in the light and in him is no darkness so in verse 4 whoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law for the sin is for sin is the transgression of the law and ye know another thing that you know he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. He's righteous, he's holy, he's pure. Well, we're using a lot of pronouns. Who's he? You know that Jesus Christ was manifested to take away our sins. Notice, manifested is revealed. It does not say Jesus Christ was created. Right? Jesus Christ is God. He is eternally God. Without beginning. God the Father is always God the Father. God the Son is always God the Son. God the Holy Spirit is always God the Holy Spirit. He is the eternal God. But He was revealed. Now this book is the documentation of a slow revealing process. I mean you've got kind of the first glimpse of the seed there with Eve. Of that from you know thy seed you'll know, bruise the serpent's head, right? You've got a plant. That's like the, the, the littlest seed. And as it grows up, you've got this, this stem and flowers and blooming and blooding. And then finally, He comes in flesh. He's existed all along. But He came and He revealed Himself. He was manifested. What was His purpose? To take away our sins. Not to try. 
Not to give a hope that may be our form of hope, wish, right? Not, not, not the, uh, you know, lottery chance. If everything just lines up and you don't monkey it up. But he came, the God of all heaven, the creator God came down, revealed himself with an explicit purpose to take away our sins. Now, do you think that our God is capable of failing at anything he does? He wouldn't be God if he did. He wouldn't be sovereign. There'd be something force greater than him that could stop him. There is nothing. We know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. All right. Now don't get confused. Hang on to all that we've looked at before, and I know it's over five or six weeks. Go back to chapter 1 and verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but that of the whole world. What's anticipated in all those verses is that we're going to sin. You are sinners. I am a sinner. There is a Nature within me, my default nature, that will always want to sin. There is also a new creature within me that will never want to sin. And that one will never lead me or encourage me to sin. There are lusts within me for my old man that will always be there that I will have to battle in as long as I am in this form. Right? One day we're going to be free from that. That's part of what makes it so great. And so we've got those who are seducing you and trying to deceive you and teach you down the wrong path. He's saying, look to the model. There's no sin in him. The purpose that he came was to take away our sins. Why would you stay in your sins now? Don't let anybody teach you that it is okay to live a life of a pattern of sin. Okay, This is open rebellion to God. When you can say, God, I'm going to do what I want to do and I don't care what your word says. You don't have that right. And anyone who teaches you that you do is a liar and trying to deceive you. And so John is plainly teaching that those who have been born of the Word, born of God, have their Word grafted into their heart, your life is to be spent purging yourself from those sins, not indulging in them. And so when you're picking someone to follow and to listen to, if someone who's abiding in sin, that's not the follower. That's not the one you follow. You know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Now again, We're not talking about an individual sin. But if you're abiding in Christ, the pattern of your life cannot 
be that open, continuous rebellion of sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning, right? And this, this may feel like a hard distinction. I may not be verbalizing it well. I'm sleepy. Um, <laughs> but this is important. Whosoever simmeth, whoever lives in that life of just continuous course of sin, they're not one that you should be following or patterning your life after. Right? Well, so-and-so is a Christian and they do it. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither knowing him. Right? Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. All right? Want to know what? Um, why would anyone do righteousness? Why would, what's, what's the motivation? Because of what's already been done within. And then you can, get a, you can get a distorted version of righteousness if you say, well, he's a moral person. He's a good boy, but... Right? If your motivation isn't a righteousness given by God to serve God and to please God from God for God, then it's just a veneer of doing good works for whatever reason, whether that's applause of men or business community, whatever it is. I mean, there's a lot of reasons folks do good things, but that does not make it righteous. Right? Let, my, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous. So, righteousness from within, real righteousness from within, you know where it's going to show up? Outside! <laughs> you have been created unto good works. Therefore, labor in them <laughs> abundantly. Your labor is not in vain. The one that you're working for, he knows. He's coming back. He's going to get what's his. That means it's going to have some times where you're not going to want to and you're not going to have positive feedback and it's going to be hard. Yeah, be weary and not well-doing, right? Do it anyway because your master knows. That's what you've been created for. Live it out. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin, that course of life, that is the course of life, that pattern of sin, he that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. I don't know when Satan fell. But it was from the beginning. He was a created creature, created by God. He is not equal to God. There's some other religions that get really distorted with that. And he was created good, but he fell. And there was angels that fell with him. All right? The ones who didn't fall were described as the elect angels. God did not allow them to fall. Jesus did not come and die for any of those fallen angels. He sinned from the beginning. He came, took on that form of a serpent, deceived Eve. I don't know if that was his initial sin or there was more to go with it, but that's his pattern. He is the figurehead of those that sin. The destruction that awaits for him awaits for all sinners. And brothers and sisters, 
Though we sin, we're not sinners any longer. What is the title that you've been given? The sons of God. He that committeth sin is of the devil. That's, that's the figurehead that represents them. For the devil sent it from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. Again, not created. He was revealed. The Son of God was revealed that he might destroy the works of the devil. First thing we see him doing is encouraging one to disobey God, to doubt God, to question God. The Son of God was revealed to destroy that. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. You are born again. You are created a new creature. That new creature will never lead you to sin. And the Holy Spirit and the Father that loves you will not be content to allow you as a born-again creature to stray from Him and to wallow in sin abundantly. Um, he will chasten you. He will get you back. You will never get back to that spot you were before when you were dead and you could do all sorts of filth and enjoy it. That's right. You may, you may convince yourself for a time and you, sin can harden you. But you can't go back to that spot where you were dead and you were like, yeah. Right? Where the things of this world that had such great pleasure for you and you were pursuing them headlong and you didn't care what anybody said. You can't go back to that. Lord loves you too much for that. And so for those who have been born of God, you can't live that pattern of life anymore. You can't. Right. Somebody say, change you want to her. Right? For his seed, God's seed remaineth within you. You've got the Holy Spirit remaining within you. He's not going to abandon you. Teaching you, admonishing, convicting you. Right? He cannot sin. Again, this is not saying you're not capable of an individual sin. You are. And if you think that you're not anymore, you're deceived. <laughs> and you're in pride. <laughs> that's, that's the sin you're wallowing in. <laughs> um, but it's a revealing. That's what it says in 10. This, in this, the children of God are manifest. In this, the children of God are revealed, exposed to be the children of God. It does not make them children of God. It does not produce them as children of God. But it shows them that they, what they are that they are. Right? If I go out there to a tree and I pick a peach, does that presence of the peach make that a peach tree? No, it was already a peach tree. Right? The fruit helps you identify the tree. Okay? So... One who is a son or daughter of God, who knows where he's going to be, who's not capable of living in sin, your righteousness will be shown. 
Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth neither, neither he that loveth not his brethren. Righteousness and love, two very closely linked concepts. If you have righteousness without love, congratulations, you have self-righteousness, not God's righteousness. You think that, well, because I don't deal drugs or solicit prostitutes or murder people, then whatever, you know, insert your famous, these are heinous sins, I just, you know, I'm better than that. I can look down my long nose at the rest of y'all sinners. That's, that's not real righteousness. The righteousness that comes from God is the righteousness that comes from within, from the Holy Spirit, who says, you're vile, and yet I loved you anyway. And because I love you, guess what? You now love me. <laughs> And you want to serve me. And one of the greatest ways that you demonstrate your love to God, one is keeping his commandments, but two is loving others. <coughs> so I get to love those who are just good to me, right? <laughs> That's easy. You don't need the spiritual man for that. Your carnal man is to take care of that. Man, he's scratching my back. I'll scratch back. I bet I'll get another scratch back scratch soon. Right? This is loving, oh, loving with abandon. This is, this is not looking out for self-interest. This is, my Lord's told me to, to love even my enemies, the ones who do wrong to me, the ones who offend me, the ones who put me down, the ones who may want to kill me. Them too. Your neighbor is yourself. Who's your neighbor? Well, your neighbor is the one that you're showing mercy on. Y'all get, get that point of that whole story is that you're the one to show mercy. And your neighbor is everyone that you show mercy to. And so, if you've got some form of righteousness but you have not love, you got a whole chapter there in Corinthians about that. If, you, if you've got all these great gifts but got no love, you got nothing. It's hollow, it's smoke, it's vapor, it's just a show. For this is the message that she heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. I mean, that goes back to Old Testament. Love thy neighbor as thyself. And you know what? Each y'all love yourself a whole lot. Me too. <laughs> That's pretty pretty high bar. But where does that loving, often unlovable, people come from Where's, what's what's the motivation for that that's not something you can draw up on yourself that's a gift of the grace of god and so when you're able to do it guess who gets credit not you <laughs> god you know i don't i don't like to talk politics up here and i know that i I have concern when I see Christians at large across this country being manipulated by people through fear and hatred. How many times in Scripture does it say, fear not? How many times does it tell you or authorize you to hate anybody? 
ain't there. Be on your guard. They're, the children of this world are smart. They know what motivates people to do what they want. And so they're more than willing to co-opt a brand as they see it of a group of people, say the right buzzwords, and influence them through fear and hatred. And so if you are listening to somebody and their solution for you, whether it's directly or indirectly, is that it's okay to hate this group of people, these are not, not ones you should follow. Their message is not from God. If their message is that you have to be fearful, that it's all going to fall apart, and that if you don't do this, right, the message is fear, again, that's not a message from God. They're trying to get you to trust in something other than Him. I'm not saying don't make wise decisions, don't investigate, and you have each of you have a, a duty and responsibility in this nation to vote wisely. Do that. But do it from a sound biblical perspective. And remember, God's in charge. And if all of our freedoms are taken away, we're still Christians. We're still able to worship Him. And He's going to take care of us. Worst thing they can do is put a bullet in our head. Okay. We're with Him! Because our labor's not in vain! If our hope in Christ was just in this world, yeah, this is kind of a rough gig. So those who aren't doing righteousness and those that aren't loving their brother, those are not, that's not someone for you to follow. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. You had two natural blood brothers, right? First two born in this world. One is described as being of that wicked one. His figurehead was Satan. Right? And one had been given gift, a gift, a gift of faith. And so his works, what he produced, Abel, were righteous. They were accepted by God. Without faith, you can't please God. And it galled the other one. So much so that he was willing to slay his own brother. He says, he says that's not the example for us. Right? If we're told to love, that ain't love. Abel's crime was that he was righteous. So what's the admonition there in 13? Don't be shocked if the world hates you. Is this a popular message? Is this going to go viral? Not a chance. (laughs) Eventually, Facebook's AI is going to get so good, they're just going to start taking me down. Um, You speak truth long enough, and it's going to be offensive. 
plug for Sermon Audio. They have now got their own independently housed servers. Um, it's at Bob Jones University, so they're not dependent on the cloud like Amazon or uh, Google or any of those other third-party tech giants to host those uh, two, three million sermons that they've got up there already. Um, maybe more than that, but they've been working hard to have some place where the Word of God can stand and not be independently shut down by companies who don't find it popular. Um, now, because of that, they're, they're raising their prices. <laughs> We're still getting the previous discounted rate of $50 a month, but at some point it's going to go up another 10 bucks. But um, they also have uh, started using AI to create transcripts automatically so from the time you upload it, within like an hour, there's a full transcript in English. And then they're taking that to where it could be given closed captions in another language. Um, so it's, they're, they're, I'd say it's worth the 10 bucks. <laughs> um, so marvel not, brethren, if the world hates you. We know, another thing we know, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. You ever wondered if I'm really born again? Here's a way you know. If you love the brethren. I think the context here, this is literally talking about the brothers and sisters within the church. Now I've mentioned this before, but in Brother Jerry Hunt Sr.'s autobiography, he, he remembered going to sleep uh, in the back pew, just hating being at church. These are the ugliest people he's ever seen, and their singing is terrible, and he just didn't know why anyone wanted to waste this time. And something happened in him, and when he woke up, that was the most beautiful singing, and these were the most beautiful people, and he just wanted to be around them. One of the reasons you know that you pass from death into life is you have a love for the saints. One thing I, I love about going around to other church meetings is that I don't know these folks from Adam. But there is a, a, a kindred and a love and a connection that, that's real. It's not fabricated. It's not that southern hospitality. Y'all come on in and make yourself at home. But don't go in there. Don't go in the fridge. And what are you doing? You've been here over an hour. You need to leave, right? Y'all know that southern hospitality that's kind of a we're giving lip service to what grandma told us to do, but we really don't want you here. This ain't that kind of love. That's loving in word. We're to love in deed and in truth. We know that we pass from death into life because we love the brethren. What's the hallmark? What's an assurance you have that you're a born-again child of God? Is that you love other born-again children of God. Right? He that, that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Let all malice, anger, wrath, strife be put away from you, Right? Those are not the hallmarks of the born-again child of God. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. We know that Christ in the Sermon on the Mount taught this gravity of internal hidden sins. That, okay, I can look down on this person over here because they're, 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 they're sleeping around, right? They're physically doing it. But Christ said in that, that if you're using your eyes... To lust after another person. And just imagining what you wanted to do. So that's the same thing. You've already committed the sin in your heart. 
Well, it takes that extrapolation of that heart sin in a context of hatred. Okay, I didn't physically go over there and hit my brother and kill him like Abel, like happened to Cain and Abel, right? But if I'm hating him and I want to and I despise him and I've got those grudges, those cherished anger bearing up in my heart, this is not the behaviors that live out what it is to be a child of God. Okay? These are things we've got to purge ourselves from, and if we're choosing folks to listen to, if that's what they're advocating for, you know, this is not someone we need to be following. That's not the standard that God gave. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. If you've been born again, you can't go out and just blow someone's brains out. You can't. That's Is this tough stuff to hear? Yeah. But is this the standard? Yeah. Hereby perceive we the love of God. How do we see and understand and acknowledge and recognize the love of God? How, do, how are we able to? Because he laid down his life for us. Christ came and died and laid down his life. That's how we're able to recognize the love of God. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's a big sacrifice, right? Justifiably, we should be willing to lay down our lives for one another. Right? How do we recognize that God loves us? He sent his son to die for us. Right? So if that's such a big, big, big thing, and it is, and it would not be unreasonable for God to put us in a situation where we would have to lay down our lives, 17 comes to the small, small, small. But whosoever seeth, excuse me, whosoever hath this world's good, goods, stuff, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him. If God in his righteousness could call us to put us in a position to where we would have to lay down our lives for our, our brothers, and for love's sake we would, why do we get so hard-hearted on the little things? Right? Seeing a brother in need and shutting up his bowels of compassion, how dwelleth the love of God in him? And so that leaves with this admonition, I'll stop here, is that my little children... Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. The love that we bear to one another is not the greeting at the door. It's the being in the trenches with you. Helping to hold your head above water when you need it, and you helping to hold my head above water when I need it. Laughing with you when we're rejoicing, crying with you when we're hurting. This is love in, in deed, deed, action, stuff. Laboring, right? Laboring unto good works. That involves some effort, toil, work, striving. Not the lip service, not the platitudes, not the, well, we sent you a card. Get over it, <laughs> Right? There's the bare minimum superficial version of love. It's kind of like a little bit of glitter. Not a very sustaining meal. <laughs> As opposed to the real meat of it.
So if we know that we're the sons of God, and we know that we'll be with Him and like Him one day, and we're spending our life purifying ourselves as His standard is pure, and He's told us, if you love me, keep my commandments, and love one another, then this loving for one another in deed and in truth should be a central theme in our life. Not just an afterthought, not an offshoot, and certainly not a box to check. Love's important. Can't overstate it. What Paul would pray to various churches is that our love would abound yet more and more. And you know who he's writing to? A really loving church. And so there's room to grow. I was so pleased um, to see how welcoming and friendly and just bringing folks in um, we all did for all of our visitors this weekend. Um, it was wonderful. That's good. We don't have to just do it on a special occasion. Right? And whether we're gathered here or we're out and about, um, looking for opportunities to demonstrate love and compassion and kindness, not for backpats, mercy. Because of the great amount of love that's been bestowed upon us and what a great inheritance is reserved for us, we've got more of the motivation than we need. We serve a, a mighty and awesome God, and He's merciful. Let's love him and love one another. Thank you all.